What's up, y'all? What's up, family? What's up, cousins? Isaac Curry in the house. I'm so excited for tonight's Therapy Thursday. No matter where you're streaming from, let us know if this is your first time streaming with us here on Therapy Thursdays. We're excited to have you on today. We welcome you. We thank you for tuning in, for taking the time to invest in your healing, to invest in your growth and your development. Are y'all ready for the word on tonight? I don't have my partner with me, um, Elena, but we're going to have her back. She's going to be back to join me. I'm thankful um, because what we got to deal with tonight, yo, it's going, yo, it's it's going to hit, it's going to hit a certain way. And so I'm grateful um, for your presence. Y'all ready? Listen, let me pray with y'all as y'all come in. I don't know, you need some paper to write on because what we're gonna give you today, what's gonna be shared with you, I believe is transformative. I thank God for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for giving us the things that we need even when we don't realize we need it ourselves. Meet us today at the place of our greatest deficit. Meet us today and give us the things that we need. Help us today. We thank you and I thank you for every person who will tune in live and those who will tune in um, at a later time. I pray God that this word, you take the scraps of what I have and that you multiply to feed the masses. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Listen, um, one of the things I wanted to share with you at before we jump into our message, um, our, our conversation, rather, um, moment of transparency, a moment of vulnerability is that uh, some of you know, some of you don't know, every now and then um, there is a, a thorn that God has given me in my flesh, right? And um, of all of the miracles that he has performed in my life, um, healing me from, you know, diabetes, uh, cataracts, early set on uh, glaucoma, like osteoporosis, all of the things that the doctor said I had, um, God reversed it to the point where they could no longer see it. There are many miracles that God performed in my life. And one of the miracles that God did perform and yet Um, it's hard to see the manifestation of it yet, is a thorn called myasthenia gravis. And so for some of you every now and then, when I'm with my brother in person um, in Houston or sometimes here, you might see uh, my face, you know, and my eyes look a certain way. Like right now, um, my left eye is a little hard to open because myasthenia gravis, it, it, it's, it stands for great muscle weakness. And so it's an autoimmune uh, thorn. It's an unclean thing, um, but God has already healed me of it, yet uh, my body has yet to see the full manifestation of it. Um, so we covet your prayers. Uh, it makes me fatigue, it makes me tired, but we pray for teaching power, for preaching power, so that God can speak to us and through us. But uh, it's important for me to share that with you because um, It has for a long time been a place of shame because of how it makes me feel and how it looks. And so oftentimes I would try to cover it up. But I want you all to know that I'm here because there's a word and there's a conversation that we need to have. 
but I want you to know what's going on with me and the things that we wrestle with, all while giving you what God has for you. Are y'all ready? We love you. My my wife sends her regards, and so thank you. Um, so there's a conversation that I want to have with you today. And the conversation I want to have with you today is based around a subject. Hustlers of the heart. A heart hustle. Somebody, somebody write that down. Heart hustle. A heart hustle is when you knowingly or inadvertently embrace a belief system that feeds a pattern that keeps you repeating unhealthy and unhelpful cycles. I'm going to say it again. A heart hustle is when you knowingly or inadvertently embrace a belief system that feeds a pattern in your life that keeps you repeating unhealthy and unhelpful patterns. And I want to get right into heart hustling because there are belief systems that we have that force us to make decisions and we continue repeating things that we don't want to experience, we don't want to be true in our lives. And for this, this particular session, I want to talk about five particular heart hustles or hustles of the heart that I know intimately, but we see repeated so often in our singleness, in our marriage, in our family relationships, in our everyday lives that we should be able to identify, expose, address, correct, so that we can be the people who God has called us to be. And one of the greater heart hustles, number one, that we don't often talk about is when we chase ghosts in relationships. One of the greatest hustlers of the heart is when we create an image in our mind of who a person is and will be despite the fact that they have revealed to us who they really are because there is an image of love and relationships that we created based upon our first date, that's our parents. And so in our lives, we create an understanding or a theology of dating based upon our very first date. Your very first date is not when you were 13, 14, 16, 21. Your first date is when you developed that bond with your father or with your mother or with your parents. And that helped to shape for you what love looks like. And for many of us, we are chasing and have been chasing ghosts in relationships because the man you desire, you compare the man that you desire to the father that you admire, or you're choosing the woman to love based on the woman who loved you, or you try to craft and manufacture a relationship to look just like your parents' marriage or the exact opposite. And so many times what we end up doing inadvertently is we create a narrative in or an image in our mind of who we want the other person to be based upon our parents' relationship, number one. 
someone else's experiences or our past hurt. And based upon one of those three things, we already create a narrative before we pursue or enter into our next relationship. And it already sets up the relationship for failure. The relationship has already ended before it began. We find ourselves chasing ghosts in relationships, meaning that what the thing that you're looking for, the man that you're expecting him to become, the woman you want her to be, based upon how your mom cared for you, how she fed you and how she told you she loved you or how your father protected you and provided for you and loved on you. And now you create this image and you expect for the man to be just like your dad. But here is the thing and here is why it's a ghost. Here is why it's not accurate is because the image that you have in your mind of your mother or of your father or of their relationships is a vantage point. And the vantage point in which you look and peer into your mom or your father or your parents has some benefits. It has some pros and it has some cons. It has some benefits, but it also has some disadvantages. Meaning that there's some things that you don't see there's blind spots that you have. There's willful blindness. You can't see the quirks. You can't see the flaws. You can't see the mess ups because the parents didn't show you that because you didn't see that. And because you didn't, you don't know that that exists. What happens is you create the ultimate perfect person. This is how my, my man needs to be. If my man can be like this, then I don't want him. You're chasing ghosts. Or your, mar- your parents were married for 30 years, but you don't know four of those years or 10 of your, those years, it was a lot of storming, right? Or or let's say you you had a, an encounter with your mother and you don't like it and you say, Mom, my, so now you put a job description on the back of the woman that you date and you want her to be everything that your mom wasn't chasing ghosts. And one of the greatest heart hustles is when you don't come to a realization that there is a pattern you're employing in your life that is keeping you from being able to see healthy because you have an image that is artificial, that is created by you. You have created a narrative. The person that you're looking for is a creation. It's artificial. It's not authentic. It's not real. Many of us are chasing ghosts in relationships. And we wonder why. Y'all, 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 y'all don't want to walk with me. Another thing, because when we're talking about chasing ghosts, one example, and I try to give it very succinct, is that when you think about Michal, uh, King Saul's daughter, she lived in the shadows of her sisters, right? And her father did not give her the ultimate attention. She was always trying to make decisions to, to be in her father's good graces. And her father used her as a political pawn to try to get a hold of David. And so he married her off. Why? Because she said, according to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 17 through 29, you discover that she saw David and she was immediately enamored by him. The Bible says she loved him. The Bible never says that David loved her. She pursued David. But the question is why? What about David intrigued her? I would much say in my imagination that when she saw David, she saw, saw she also saw aspects of her father. She saw a man who was politically savvy. 
She saw a man who was strong. She saw a man who was in line to be a king. She saw a man who was independent, a man who was successful, a man who had an anointing. She saw her father and she didn't realize that she saw her father. But what she also didn't realize until they got married because she pursued marriage is that he also treated her just like her father treated her. He treated her like a political pawn. Even after he left her, got married to some other women and then came back after she got married and he came back because he made a deal with somebody, a political deal that gained him advantage to get his wife back because he saw that she had moved on and he wanted her back. He treated her just like her father treated her. What I'm saying to you is this, it's easy to desire a man or compare a, or compare the man that you desire to the man who you admire. But you got to be careful because you don't get to get the Frankenstein. The You don't get to get someone that you put together. You got to get all of it. There's blind spots. Somebody needs to know one of your issues and one of the reasons why your heart is hurting or the disappointment that you're experiencing is because uh, you have been inadvertently chasing ghosts, right? There's another thing. There's another thing. Um, another hustle of the heart or a heart hustler is when you misplace your expectations. This is good. This is good. Some of us complain, and I used to be one of them. We complain about how much, well, I don't have expectations. And you tell yourself you don't have expectations because you don't want to express those expectations because you're afraid that those expectations won't get met. But you do have expectations. We always have expectations, all, although we don't clearly articulate them. But we often misplace our expectations in relationships, not just romantic, but yes, especially in romantic relationships. One of the reasons that you experience the disappointment and the heartache you experience is not that you shouldn't have expectations, but for some of us, your expectations are unreasonable. I know I said it. For some of us, our expectations of other people are so high that when you look behind the scenes, you're behind the scenes, the expectations that you're holding other people to, you're not even living up to yourself. It is not fair, correct, or healthy to develop expectations of other people to be and do what you are not yourself. And many times, especially in relationships, we have very high standards. His credit score has to be this. His salary has to be this. He has to work this. He has to have this work ethic. He has to be this spiritually astute. He has to be all of these things. But if the expectations you have of her, bro, if you're not living up to those expectations yourself, like if your life is not what you expect, it's not okay to expect that from someone else. And many times, we know what I understand that, what understand that ends up happening is the reason why many times our, our expectations are misplaced is because the expectations that you're putting on someone else belongs to your mother or your father. Because someone in your past, mother, father, your ex, your old boss, someone who had your heart, someone who you love, someone who you were close with, someone who you were best friends with. The problem is someone in your early childhood, perhaps, 
there was an expectation that they did not meet. And you carry that unmet expectation. And in every relationship, you repackage it and you put it in this big old nice box and you you put the bow on it and you hand it to them because this is your greatest expectation. But the expectation, it could be that the expectation that you're placing on them is an expectation somebody in your past didn't meet and now you're placing on somebody else to fulfill. It could be that one, your expectation is unexpressed. Did you clearly articulate it? Or your expectation could really truly be unreasonable. I have seen more times than not that we expect things from other people that we look like we're doing. We look like we got together. We look like we're excelling. But if you carried a billboard, if God put a television of your life on your back and you walked around with the television of your life, of your behind the scenes, and you no matter, you couldn't turn it off, you couldn't change the channel, you couldn't turn down the volume. If your life was the result of a television that God placed on you and you walked around and everybody saw, would you still have the same expectations of other people that you have? It's, 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 a, it's, it's a very clear, a very straightforward, like, reality check. Like, what you're expecting. Like, you want a man that, or you want a woman that, I mean, she got to be spiritually deep. But you probably only read your Bible two or three times a month, a week, you know, and you go in and out of depth, of deepness. Or, like, there, there is things that you get hung up on. Or there's, there's a few sins that you get hung up on. Nobody knows. But if someone else who you're pursuing or you're in relationship with or you're friends with, if they get hung up on a sin that you see that everybody else sees, you treat them differently. You got, you got different expectations. Misplacing expectations. And when you place expectations on someone, and those expectations belong to someone else, you often experience disappointment. But here is the thing. The man you're dating can't be your firefighter. The woman you're dating, she can't be your nurse. Like, some expectations are just simply unreasonable. There's another, there's another, there's another. I, I, this one has layers to it, right? And I want to put my weight here. I want to put my weight here. There is a heart hustle. A hustler of the heart. That impacts almost all of us. At some point in our lives. And that's when we have relationship tunnel vision. I'm going to sit that there. Oftentimes in our singleness, we want a relationship so badly that it preoccupies our minds. We don't want to confess it. We don't want to admit to it. We want to tell the truth. We complain. We gripe. We want to speed up God's process. And what we focus on 
is when am I going to get married? When am I going to 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 have that relationship? Or when am I going to get remarried? Or, or, or when is God going to send me my Boaz? When is God going to send me my Ruth? Where, where am I going to find her? We become so preoccupied and so tunnel vision about being in a relationship that when a plausible, a reasonably fair candidate comes along, we speed date, we marry quickly, and we divorce often. We often have relationship tunnel vision and relationship tunnel vision forces us to speed through what I often call the relational developmental process. If you've been walking with us, you've heard me talk about this once or twice before. There is a relationship, a relational developmental process that we often disrupt and we often bypass because we want to be in a relationship so bad and we get in a relationship and we're so enamored, we're so hung up, we're, man, we're high, we're intoxicated on the newness of the relationship. And so we talk about everything, we give them everything and we tell them everything about our past relationship that didn't work and our marriage that failed and all the relationships that didn't work in our friendship phase. And then they start becoming, he starts becoming everything that I told him that I, that I didn't like. So he starts becoming everything that I do like based on what I told him and I didn't realize it. And so I'm saying that he's my Boaz before he ever really became a Boaz. Or I told her everything that happened in my past relationship. And as a result, she said, I'm going to make sure that I don't do this. They aren't the perfect one. They're just great at following directions. But look at this. When we have relationship tunnel vision, we disrupt the relational developmental process, which is friendship, dating, Courting, which is the committed relationships. We're committed. Dating is not committed. When we're courting, we're in a committed, exclusive relationship. When we're dating, we're just gathering data to determine whether or not you are worth a commitment. You are worth more of my time and my life. And most of us, we're friendship acting like we're courting or we're dating acting like we're engaged, right? And so think about this. I'm going somewhere with this because there's, there's three things that happen when we speed or, or when we, when we like have relationship tunnel vision, but many of us were in the dating phase, having conversations that should be happening in the engagement phase. There is friendship, there is dating, there is courting, there is engagement, and there is the forever covenant. And in each of those stages of your relationship, there is a series, there is a temperature that, and there is a conversation that should be happening in those phases. And some of us are having great conversations, but in the wrong phase. And because we're so focused on relationship, we got to be in a relationship, we speed date. We speed date. We move so quickly, we move so quickly, we move so quickly, and we, we get we, we get committed, we get married, and then we divorce often, speed dating. One result of relationship tunnel vision is speed dating, right? You think about Samson, judges. He saw a woman, yo, I wanna marry her. 
Her mom and dad, his mom and dad was like, yo, take your time. I don't think she's the right one. I want to marry her. Relationship, tunnel vision. I, I, I got to get married. I'm hungry. My, my biological time, I'm getting old. Man or woman, both. We got to rush this. Speed dating. Did you know, <laughs> because we're so relationship focused and because we're moving so fast, that most people who are dating never stop to ask the other person, what does a healthy relationship look like? Did you know that most people who are dating never stop to have a conversation with the other person to ask them, hey, what does a healthy relationship look like to you? I'm so focused on being in a relationship and she's the perfect one. We got chemistry. You can have chemistry. Man, she, listen, she can look good on paper, but not look good for your purpose. That paper is one thing, but that purpose is another thing. I see the paper. He looks good on paper. But does he look good with your purpose? Like, is he is he able to feed and support the purpose? But look at this. One of the things that ends up happening when we speed date, and I got to move, I got to move, is we never ask a question like, what does infidelity mean to you? Like, how do you define intimacy? Or what role does sex play in a relationship or in a marriage? Like, like, how did your parents display love and affection to you? Like, like it's important to slow down, but when we are have, have relationship tunnel vision, we're either speed dating, cohabitating, or we enter into foster relationships. When we are relation, or when we have relationship tunnel vision, we, have, we run the risk of speed dating or cohabitating. And when I say cohabitating, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I'm talking about when you live together and then someone says, no, they don't live together, but it's toothbrush over your house though. Or, or she got a drawer where her undergarments and you know her socks, you know, and her shoes, like you, know, you do everything but live together. And so one of the risks of relationship tunnel vision is yes, you move fast, but then what ends up happening is many of us get in heart marriages and we've never even had a wedding ceremony. Many of us, our hearts get caught in marriages and we've never even signed a marriage certificate. Your heart got married without your consent because you move too quickly. One of the results of being so focused on relationships that you bypass the process, the relational developmental process, you speed date, you cohabitate, and then you find yourself in a foster relationship. Some of us, that looks like a relationship, that's an insurance policy. <laughs> Some of us, are in what I call a foster relationship. It looks like a relationship. It appears like a relationship. It smells like a relationship, but that's just an insurance policy. For some of us, 
we enter into foster relationships, meaning that you're just holding on to the other person until the, the real person comes along. We either, one, we either move into a relationship immediately after a breakup. We call that a rebound, right? And many times what ends up happening is that's just a foster relationship. You are cultivating, you're caring for, and you're helping that person who just got out of a relationship. And we, and, and look, the, we love strong sparks fly. Everything goes high, just like a bottle rocket. And just like a bottle rocket, it happens so quickly. It comes down so quickly. Many of us are in fault. You're a foster boyfriend. <laughs> you didn't even realize. Oh, man, I hate to say this. Some of us are in foster marriages. You said, I do, and you didn't even talk to the Lord about it. For some of us, like you are a foster girlfriend, you're like you're, 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 his, you're, you're a foster man. Like, and many times, I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna be, be truthful about this. A woman cannot be ready for a relationship either because her career, she's busy in her career, she's thriving, or her heart is not ready, she just got out of a relationship, but, she will also keep a man around as a friend in the friend zone who will satisfy her emotional, the things that she needs emotionally. He will fix things around the house. He will be there for her to be a sounding board and he will do things for her and they will convince themselves we're just friends when in fact, he has more, he has more investment and he's hoping for more and she's good because she said, we're just friends. The same thing can go the other way around, but we don't we don't talk about it enough, but I see it all the time. I was raised around women. I've seen it even with, with friends and family. Yo, that friend zone can be a tool for growth or it can be a weapon of mass destruction. And so many times I think what ends up happening is that we have these foster people in our lives who we just keep around so that they can satisfy the emotional need, the sexual need, or the social need until something or someone better comes along. But that happens when you are absolutely relationship tunnel vision. But then there is a fourth Hustler of the heart. <laughs> this is a hustle of the heart that's important. Something that I, even today, still have to really, really be very intentional in not feeding. And that is when you have lethal loyalty. You can be single, married, for 50 years, you can be um, a young adult, you can be, um, it did. many of us suffer from what I call the desperate need to be loyal, right? And lethal loyalty is when you become so faithful to be in everything to everyone at the expense of being what you need to be for yourself. It's, it's when you practice being firm in your support for someone or something, although that person is not supporting you. And when we have a loyalty that is harmful, that is lethal, that hurts us, we often place a greater expectation on our backs than we do from the other person. 
And so what we say to ourselves is we are loyal. We will be loyal. We'll support because I'm a friend and I'm a supporter and I'm always going to support. And the other person we don't, even though they give us very little, we accept that. And we say that we're loyal, we're loyal, and we expect for other people to give us what we give them, and then they don't give us what we give them, and we're disappointed, and we stay, and we stay, and we support, and we support because we want people to see our value. And the reason that we want people to see our value, to take notice of our value, is because there is something unresolved something undealt with, something that is still hurting from our past that we refuse to address. And so what we do is we leak in every relationship we enter and we say we're going to be loyal because I'm loyal, I'm a loyal person, I'm going to stay and I'm going to help and I'm going to give and I'm going to be everything to them in every relationship I get taken advantage of, in every relationship I'm always doing, I'm always doing and I'm always doing. You're, you're not supposed to be the martyr for other people's happiness. And for many of us, that's the problem. You would, it's not even biblical. You can't even find, you are not supposed to hurt yourself just so that someone else won't be hurt. When loyalty requires you to hurt yourself so that someone else won't be hurt or get hurt, that is lethal. That is dangerous. And many times I found myself in relationships, supporting organizations, supporting people behind endeavors. Because ultimately, I wanted them to see the value in me, to see something in me that I, I really wanted someone to validate and affirm. And I was going to show that no matter the storm, that I'm going to always be here and I'm going to whatever you need and however I'm going to and, and still secretly i'm wanting reciprocity uh, you at some point you have to know your worth and your value no matter if it's family relationship no matter if it's friendship to an organization to a pastor to a friend it doesn't matter the hardest thing for me has been to see my own worth and not putting my value on what someone else sees or says and as a result, I've just been loyal, loyal. No matter what happens, I'm, I'm staying. When you have lethal loyalty, a loyalty that's lethal, it will always sabotage your heart and you will never be able to heal. But there's a fifth one. There's a fifth one that I want to, to sit on. And then I'll bid you a good day. Yes, we talked about a few things. We talked. Um, when it comes to hustlers, or hustlers of the heart, there are four things um, that we talked about. Number one, um, we talked about when you chase ghosts in relationships, right? Um, we talked about when you misplace your expectations. And, and when you misplace your expectations, how that sabotages your heart. 
We talked about when you have relationship tunnel vision. And when you have relationship tunnel vision, what this will require, what this will cause, it will lead you into speed dating. It will lead you into cohabitating and it will lead you into foster relationships, relationships that look real, but are just insurance policies. But we also talked about uh, number four, where there is lethal loyalty. And the last, the last but not least, is when you have a poor theology of dating. Mm. When you have a poor theology of dating, and I'll go as far as to say a, a poor theology of singleness, a poor theology of dating, a poor theology of marriage, but I'm just centering it on dating. But when you have a poor theology of singleness, of dating, of, of what marriage is, this will often sabotage, set you up, keep you going in circles. And when I say theology, theology is a belief system. Um, it is, how can I say this? Um, theology is a belief system that we have about any particular thing and how we see God through that. Theology is a belief system that you have about anything and how you see God through that. And the problem when it comes to theology is many times we don't have healthy understandings of why we do certain things. And as a result, poor theology about something contributes to poor thinking. And poor thinking contributes to poor living. Poor living contributes to poor decision making. And then this continues to destroy everything in our lives. And the reason why this is important is because in my position, I sit down and I counsel, I consult, I reflect on my own life. And you listen to people in their singleness and what they understand about why they're single is very often skewed. How they see God in their singleness is very often distorted. What they understand about marriage is often shaped and fashioned by culture and not by the Bible. What they understand is in why they're dating has nothing to do with spiritual nourishment, has nothing to do with how it glorifies God, even in engagement. And so what ends up happening because I don't have a healthy understanding, or I don't know what scripture has to say about my singleness. I don't know what the Bible has to say about marriage fully beyond Adam and Eve. I don't know what scripture requires of me or expects of me even in this dating process. How do I glorify God even in this process? And so what ends up happening, 
people stay, they overstay or they stay in relationships past the expiration date because they say to themselves, this is the best that I can do. And if I leave this person, I don't think that God will bless me with somebody better. Because somewhere you've told yourself, this is the best that I can do. And some people, I know, I know we say, oh, you're not supposed to get divorced. Oh, they're, they're, you got to have these particular grounds of the divorce as if even if you get divorced, God won't forgive it as if it's an unforgivable sin. And some people will stay in a marriage abusive, a marriage that all of the things can be happening. Life is being threatened. They can walk away from that. They can ask for forgiveness. But then they can say to themselves, God will never bless me because I got a divorce. God would never give me something good because I didn't honor a covenant. And if that is true, that has a lot to say about how you see God. Hear me. One reason why we have poor theology about a myriad of things is because culture feeds us more than the word of God feeds us. And many times people in our lives come along and they sow erroneous or bad seeds in our lives. They sow seeds of fear. They sow seeds of shame, of guilt, bad doctrine. And we take those things and we believe those things to be true. And so we'd much rather stay in a toxic relationship than no relationship at all. Like regardless of what scripture has to say, I'm getting old, my biological time clock is clicking. I'd rather stay here and I'd rather just do this and just have a life partner. I have a friend, it's a true story, last week, good friend, 30 years. She is very successful. She is excelling in life, a great career, great person. Um, but she just got out of a marriage um, a year or so ago. And in her mind, because of, uh, she called me, she was like, I need some advice because, the, true story, because I'm I'm seeing this guy and the first thing I wanna know, are you dating? Are you committed? Where are you all? Like, what is your relationship status? Are you all clear? That's my first question. Not clear. No, we hadn't really talked about that. All right, cool. She's upset because, you know, he called her and told her, let's say he made a decision that she didn't quite agree with because he was going to see a friend or a friend was coming to just drop by, you know, and they just very platonic, but he called her, let her know. And she was upset because she felt like he, you know, he wasn't supposed to, you know, do that. And I'm like, but are you all in a relationship? No, I'm not related. No, no, we're not. Well, here, here's something important. So she's upset because of some decisions that he's making. They're not clear in what they're doing. But then in my conversation, I discover that she doesn't want to get married. She just wants a life partner. So she's expecting something from him and she doesn't want to ask him, what are we or can we talk about where we're going? Because she feels like she shouldn't have to ask. And I'm like, no, you all are supposed to have clear communication. This, all of about this has a lot of errors, but it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how successful you are. If you don't have 
healthy theology and I'm listening to her talk. And ultimately I'm like, hold on, if you don't want to get married, then why are you dating? And if you don't want to get married and you just want life partnership, then how do you get to determine what you all are and where you're going? She just wants, we can, we can live together. We can keep our own houses and we can just go on trips. So you're playing house, right? And so this, but then when I'm listening to her, she says, I don't think, I I think that I would be terrible for someone as a wife. Mm. How she begins to see herself. And then listening and listening, then how she begins to see her past experience. And that begins to reflect on everything that she begins to do now. Because somewhere she never challenged and she never accepted, you know, like, like, what do you believe about this? What what does God have to say about this? I say, listen, that marriage is not a, a contract, it's a covenant. Because she was like, I don't want to get money mixed up and I, I just want to. Marriage is not a contract, marriage is a covenant. And so when we have poor theology, poor understanding about what is singleness, why are we single? What are we called to do while we're single? Is is being single greater than being married? Is like 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 for some of us, marriage is the ultimate goal because of the theology that we have about marriage. It's greater than singleness. And if you have poor theology, it will contribute to poor thinking, poor thinking, poor living, poor living. It will ruin every decision that you make. When I talk to people, they choose based upon what they think and what they assume and culture influences what you see more than the word of God. One, the final, again, saboteur or the final hustler of the heart is when we develop poor theology about our singleness or about our dating or about what marriage is. Because ultimately, we begin to move in these phases and in these seasons based on how we see ourselves and how we see God and not what scripture has to say. And if scripture doesn't begin to influence how you see yourself in this season, then you're not going to steward this season well. So what I would bid to you, take your time. Be honest about your patterns. Because if you're unable and unwilling to be honest about your patterns, there will never be an opportunity for you to do something about it. Take your time. Pay attention to your patterns. Take the time to heal. And be honest about who you are and where you are. We learn to love people for who they are, not who we want them to be. And we learn to love ourselves 
for who we are and not who we're trying to become. Because many times our our love for other people and how we treat other people is based upon how we see ourselves. And Lord, we thank you um, for this word. And we're praying, God, that you allow it to, to sit. We allow it to seep into our spirit that God, it speaks to the person who you designed it to speak to and that God, you do the work that you need to do in their lives and in their hearts. Lord, we thank you for this word today. It's in Jesus' name.